Hi, I'm Doug Schultz Carlson. I'm the artistic director of the Great River Shakespeare Festival, where I've directed and performed in over 20 of Shakespeare's plays. Uh, in this episode, we are going to talk about language and verse in Macbeth and why it's written in such a complex way. And to talk about that, I have brought along two of my friends and fellow Shakespeare nerds. <laughs> you brought your two Victorias <laughs> with you. Uh, That's I, correct. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Victoria Nassif, and I am an actor, and I play one of the witches in this podcast version of Macbeth. And I'm Victoria Teague, and I am a text coach and dramaturg. So uh, the job that I sort of do or the job that I do uh, on these productions is I sort of act as a link between the production and the audience. So I come in, I listen from the viewpoint of an audience member who's just walked into the theater and knows nothing about the play. And since actors are speaking in this heightened language that Shakespeare wrote, uh, it's obviously important to make sure they understand what they're saying and how it fits into the larger story. So I work with the actors. We have sessions where we get to break down their text speech by speech, line by line. So everybody has an opportunity to make sure we know what all of Shakespeare's language means, especially words that we don't use as much today, and talk about how to get what they mean across to the audience. And then as a dramaturg, I'll also typically do research into various aspects of the play. Um, I'll research into, you know, what was going on in England at the time Shakespeare was writing the play, uh, things that his audience would have known going in. And I'll provide that information to the team as well. Great. So, um, so, oh, go ahead, Victoria. I was just going to say, so Victoria, I feel like part of what drew me to Shakespeare is how musical the language is. And I feel like as a text sure. coach... Even though, you know, we're professional actors, uh, you know, we we do this for a living, but sometimes we need help crafting the music and the way that like a professional violinist knows how to play violin really well, but they need a conductor mm -hmm. to help craft like when the volume should rise or, you know, what particular stroke should be extra stressed to really make the music sing to the audience. And I feel like you, in conjunction with the director of the play, help mm -hmm. us craft the music of the text so that it's not only understandable, but also so that it's really effective in terms of storytelling. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it's so funny. It's I actually um, I actually think that every production of everything should have a text coach, <laughs> um, like just to focus on the language. Right. Because that's how you're getting the story across to the audience. But Shakespeare, particularly, it's extra important to have one person just listening to the words because there's so much other things going on. Right. That. Um, that there's not one person without a text coach just listening to the language. And it's totally true. I'll give a note and I'll say, hey, you know, this is what we're trying to say, right? Like this is this is the meaning of this line. I'm not getting that. I'm getting this. And then all it takes is, okay, great. I'm going to lift this line or I'm going to, you know, meaning I'm going to emphasize this line um, and I'm going to take this other line down. It's just so particular sometimes. It's, it's um. And that's how you get the meaning across. So it's, you know, it's cool. Like I'll point things out and the actor will say, oh, you're right. Yes. Um, or not you're right, but oh, I never thought about that. Like, mm -hmm. let me try it this way. And then all of a sudden you can understand it better. Yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully that's a little reassuring for people that, you know, if if you're listening to this, if you're reading Macbeth for the first time or you're, you know, this is your first experience and you're you're maybe saying, wow, this is it's it's hard to read off the page. Even those of us that 
do this all the time. We need another person like Victoria Teague in the room to help mm -hmm. us understand it and to help figure it out. It's it's really complicated. And it's partly, you know, as Victoria was saying, it's partly because this language is written to be spoken out loud. Mm. Like if you took, you know, the conversation, like if you're, if, if you took, I, when I'm teaching teenagers, I'll say, you know, if you took the conversation that you had in the cafeteria at lunch and you just wrote down mm -hmm. the words, none of the vocal inflections, none of the facial expressions, none of just the words that you were saying, and then you gave that sheet of paper to your parents or to me for that matter we probably wouldn't understand it at all because you're using all this language that we don't necessarily know and we have none of the context for it so that's kind of what we've got in the script is just that written down thing that we have to turn into spoken language that you can understand yeah, um, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Like, like sus or like spill the tea <laughs> oh yeah talk about sus tell me about that <laughs> i just learned that sus is short for suspect um, and now I feel really cool when I use it. <laughs> yes, and that's kind of yeah. that's kind of why we use language like that, right? Like it makes you part of the group. It makes you cool. Mm -hmm. It's <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. It maybe Absolutely. doesn't make us cool because that's probably not what they're saying now. But <laughs> well, this is all uh, this is all very a word a word that I just learned the other day, and, and y'all talking about this is very chuggy of you, which is another <laughs> word that uh, Wait, that's what is used. that? So it's a TikTok thing, and um, I, I, the way it was described to me is, and everybody listening to this will know what this is and they're laughing at us right now. But uh, <laughs> the way it was described to me is that chuggy is, or those, uh, those things that hang on the walls that say like live, laugh, love, like that's chuggy. That's the <laughs> definition of chuggy. Um, oh, but no. it's like things that are off trend, right? Like I take a lot of pictures of my food and my friend told me the other day that apparently it's chuggy to do that. And I was like, if that is chuggy, then I don't want to, I want to be chuggy. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, it's another word that like, you know, People are, that's the progression of language, right? It's you make up words and then they become part of, uh, they become part of your everyday language. And that's what Shakespeare was doing too. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting how playful he is with language. I mean, I have to say when I was in high school, when I was first exposed to this, I was kind of fascinated with the language, but I also really kind of thought, well, why don't we just translate this into modern English? Like, wouldn't it be just a lot easier <laughs> to understand the play if we... <laughs> I don't know if anybody else had that reaction to the language or, if, or you know, what did you think when you first saw this language? Not at all. I mean, I was the opposite. I, I, I've i always been a really musical person and I don't know if this is why, but it was the, the language was what got me really excited about Shakespeare, the musicality of it, how athletic it was, how like muscular it felt in your mouth. I remember I, <laughs> for extra credit, I volunteered to get it up in front of my sophomore high school class and do uh, <laughs> one of Lady Macbeth's speeches, which I still love. I was fascinated by her as a character. Because um, I feel like certainly when I was in high school, and I think we're getting more representation of this now, but there wasn't a lot of representation of ambitious, flawed, dark women. Um, and I love that speech. The speech that I did was the one in which she she says, come you spirits that tend on mortal thoughts, unsex me here and fill me from the crown to the toe, top full of direst cruelty. And our definitions mm. of gender have changed now, but we still understand the binary that she lived in and what was considered feminine and the fact that she uh, felt ambitious and, and desirous enough to ask evil spirits to Hmm. remove her sexuality or, or her femaleness so that she could be as 
evil as she needed to be or, or do things that were evil in order to get what she wanted, I thought was so sexy and cool. <laughs> yeah, it's such a great way to express yeah. herself. Yeah, I always think of like uh, like Juliet when she goes she goes through the whole balcony scene and she's she's she kind of keeps on saying, oh, I don't know how to express like, how can I convince you that I love you? Like, how can I really say I love you? And then she finally goes, oh, no, I can. And she says, my bounty is as boundless as the sea. My love as deep. The more I give to you, the more I have for both are infinite. Ugh. I just I just love that line. I just think it's so great. I have goosebumps. Well, and that's like the, I think that's the reason we still do Shakespeare is that Mm. Shakespeare had a grasp on humanity and was able to put it on paper. And it's incredible. I mean, like that's, he writes things and you say them and you're like, my gosh, that's exactly what that is. I've never been able to put that into words. And Shakespeare puts it into words so beautifully. Um, Like the line that I, and, and they hit you really hard and they come and you don't expect it. Like um, I was watching a production of Antony and Cleopatra and um, when Caesar finds out, uh, well, spoiler alert, when Caesar finds out that Antony <laughs> is dead, uh, he says, sorry everyone, uh, he, he says the breaking of so great a thing should make a greater crack. And it's so simple, but I was mm. sitting in the theater and it hit me And it was just like, of course, like that's what it feels like when somebody that you care for dies, right? You're you're sort of in a moment like, how is it that the entire world didn't stop spinning? Mm -hmm. Like, how is it that, you know, Mm. there should have been a greater crack and yet that's not what happens. But um, it just sums it up so beautifully and so simply what that moment feels like. And that's what Shakespeare does over and over and over again is he gives words to things that I feel like I could never put into words. Yeah. You know, yeah. these emotions, these raw emotions. His yeah. writing is so deeply human, even today. I mean, humanity, mm-hmm. we're still <laughs> we're still humans today. They were humans then. We're the same people. And I feel like yeah. that's even written into the structure of the text, right? With the heartbeat that runs through it. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that music in just a second, but I want to stick with I want to stick with language for just a second cuz mm-hmm. Victoria Teague, I think you had a you had a really interesting example. We talked about Shakespeare being playful with language or like, mm. you know, people being playful with language and making up new words. And of course, Shakespeare made up a ton of new words or at least there are a ton of words, thousands of words that had their first use in the English language in Shakespeare. And one of them, there's a great example in this play in Macbeth of a word that is really common now but the first time it ever appeared the English language was in the play Macbeth, and that word is assassination. And do you want to, Victoria, yeah. do you want to talk about that just a little bit? Yeah, totally. Um, you know, from what I had been reading about that word, that the variant of the word uh, assassinate existed, or people were using that word, but uh, from time to time, or, or that sort of thing. But Shakespeare, because he was writing within the confines of iambic pentameter, which we'll talk about in just a moment, um, he was trying to fit his poetry into a certain number of beats, right, of that heartbeat. And so he needed one more syllable in the word. <laughs> so rather mm-hmm. than just saying like an assassinate, he made it assassination. And so that's where that word is. He wrote it down and now we know that word. Um, but I just think it's interesting because Shakespeare did that all the time where he would drop these new words into the plays. And so his audiences would also on the fly experience these new words um, in the moment. 
And so Shakespeare did a lot of interesting things to sort of prepare them. Like in this play, the lines that lead up to that word are, if it were done, when tis done, then twere well it were done quickly. If the assassination could trammel up the consequence. So the lines before assassination, they're, they're monosyllabic lines, which um, meaning that they, all of the words just have one syllable. And a lot of times in Shakespeare, when he writes that way, it's a, it's a clue to the actor to slow down, to take their time. Um, and in this case, it would have really led beautifully into this word, right? This word. And in this moment, Macbeth doesn't want to say, uh, or they don't want to say um, murder. They don't want to mm. say what they're going to actually do. And so they're finding another word for it. And the word is assassination, which is, um, it would have sounded strange, but it also would have drawn a lot of emphasis to the fact that it implied murder uh, in this moment. So I just think it's interesting that Shakespeare really did take care for his audience, but at the same time, like it was meant to make them feel, it was meant to have a moment of like, what was that word? What, what was that? And I just can't imagine what that would feel like in the audience, right? And that he would do that frequently. So interesting. That's so interesting. Yeah. To, I mean, it's so interesting just to think that for Shakespeare's audience, they would have been having, I mean, we certainly run into words in Shakespeare that aren't common for us, but to think that Shakespeare's audience was having that, was having that experience as well, that they were hitting a new mm -hmm. word. So Absolutely. say that again, because I really kind of want to drive that point home. It's, it would be easier for the audience to understand if he had just said murder, if the murder right. could trammel up the consequence, why not just say it? What does it tell you about Macbeth that he can't bring himself to say the word murder? Well, I think, um, and I think we're going to talk about this when we do our themes podcast as well. But one of the um, one of the interesting things about Macbeth is that Macbeth knows the consequences of his actions. He knows that when he murders Duncan, like he knows what's going to happen, right? Like he might go to hell, uh, or he would for sure. You know what I mean? He understands like the consequences on his soul. He understands the consequences on his sanity. Like he knows what's going to happen and he does it anyway. But in this moment leading up to it, he hasn't yet. And so it's this idea of dancing around, uh, the idea of murder. So he's not going to say murder, you know, they're going to, they're going to find other ways uh, to actually get at what this thing is. Um, which I think is what makes Macbeth such an interesting character is that like he doesn't just slip into this like role of murderer like he thinks about it and he knows what's going to happen once he does it, um, which is just really interesting uh, the way then that that gives so much room to Shakespeare to play with what words he's choosing. So it's complicated for a reason. Like there's something to be there's yeah. something to be gained from that complexity. There's something that you learn or that is richer because of that complexity. Totally. Okay. All right. We've been hinting at it a bunch. So let's let's talk a little bit about this verse structure that we've got. So this is this is the music of the language. So the verse structure that we have is this thing called iambic pentameter, and that sounds very complicated. It's not as complicated as all that. All it refers to iambic that refers to the feet in the verse, the units of verse that it's built out of, and iambic just means that it's an unstressed syllable followed by a stressed syllable. So that's the units we're going to build the verse out of. Then pentameter penta means five, like pentagram. So it means we're going to have five of those units. So unstressed, stressed, and we're going to have five of them. So bum 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 bum, and one and two and three and four and 
25. That's what the line is going to be like. And the language will sort of fall into that. And that happens to be a pretty natural rhythm for the English language. So it's not that hard to write iambic pentameter in English because that just happens to be how it works. If you were writing in a different language, I don't know like about Malaya, that. Writing in... <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> easy, easy for me to say. Yeah. Yeah. But like, so a line, uh, so a line, like we were talking about Romeo before, we said, uh, uh, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. That's a line of iambic pentameter. And it tells you something about who that guy is. That's a really regular verse line. The last word is maybe the most important. It's got a kind of energy to it, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks. That's that's Romeo. <laughs> but if you were a different character, if you were Hamlet, you might have something different going on. You might have a little extra syllable on the end, so then you sort of trip over it. To be or not to be, that is the question. It just kind of trips you up. Um, we talked about uh, we 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 talk about this sometimes as a heartbeat that's running through the language. So bum bum. So if your heartbeat is running through, but soft, what light through yonder window breaks? That's one thing. Mm -hmm. But if your heartbeat has a little extra catch in it, to be or not to be, that is the question. Maybe that tells you something a little bit different, or different characters speak in di at different times in the play in different ways. That just gives you a little bit of information about the character. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So what else what else do we get out of this music or what else do you hear in this music? I feel like I think yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to talk about how um I think that you know, that's one of the most incredible things about Shakespeare is as Doug is saying, he had five feet this these bumps on each line to fit everything into. So all of these like incredible expressions of humanity, he did it in kind of a way that was you know, he was um, constricted a little bit in terms of that. But like you were saying, you can sort of read into what characters are experiencing by if they have extra, if there's an extra little uh, jump at the end or something like that. And likewise, if he has blank spaces in the lines, that also tells you a lot about um, what characters are experiencing. So he does that a lot too. And it can mean a variety of things. Like sometimes it means that, you know, there are no words for what that character is feeling in that moment. And so they don't speak. Or sometimes it means, you know, like they're trying to think of the next thing they're gonna say, or they're trying to like come up with the courage to say the next thing they're gonna say, or mm -hmm. there's a moment of intimacy that happens or something like that. So it tells us all sorts of things. And kind of the fun part about it is, um, you know, we don't know what the actual intent of those moments are because Shakespeare didn't write them down. And so as we look at these um, these lines today, we're able to, to kind of make those our own and fill them. But it's just fascinating because when you do see those spaces, they mean something. Yeah, let's give a let's give just a, a really quick example of that. Maybe I'm I'm going to go to Act Two, Scene Two, and I'm at the part where Macbeth has murdered Duncan, and he's just coming back from it. So Lady Macbeth and Macbeth are in the castle. They're listening very carefully to see what's going to happen. And Victoria Nassif, can you just read? Can we start at Did not you speak? Can you read Lady Macbeth? And mm -hmm. let's just read the lines. Let's just hear what's here, and we're going to give just a couple of lines. Great. Did not you speak? When? Now. As I descended? I. Hark, who lies in the second chamber? I don't know. Okay, 
Sorry, I didn't explain that I was playing Macbeth. So, all right. So, so that's the lines. What we, when we look at those lines, what we discover is a bunch of those lines go together and form one line. Did not you speak when now as I descended? Did not you speak when now as I descended? Ba-bum, 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 ba-bum. So that's actually one line of verse. Now, if those, if those four lines between two different characters actually go together in one line of verse, what Shakespeare's telling us is we're supposed to speak those lines really fast. Like we're supposed to keep them clipping along really fast. Then we have I, hark, and then there's the end of a line. So that's one foot, I, hark, and then there's gonna be four empty feet, four empty units. So it goes ba-bump, ba silence, 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 silence. So we know there's gonna be a long pause in there. And then Macbeth concludes with who lies in the second chamber and Donald Bain is gonna come right after that. Okay, so let's give the example. Let's, let's read it once, Victoria. Let's read it once, just as if there was no verse there. We can say this however we want. Let's read it, and then we're going to read it as if and, and really try and follow the verse. So first, just as we might a modern play. Did not you speak? When? Now. As I descended? I. Hark, who lies in the second chamber? Donalbane. Okay, now let's follow the verse and let's remember we've just committed a murder. We really don't want to get caught. We're really listening for sounds. All right, okay. so here we go. This is what the verse is going to tell us to do. Did not you speak? When? Now. As I descended? I. Hark! Who lies in the second chamber? Donald Bain. Great. It's so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. Like, yeah, and all we're doing is we're just singing the music, right? Mm, we're just trying to right. sing the music that the verse has given us. Absolutely. Yeah. It's on the paper. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So that's just a little bit about why we're so excited about this language and why it is complicated. So the the if you're if you're having the experience that it is sometimes hard to read off the page, there's a lot there to be found and there's a lot there to get excited about and there's a lot that lets us really bring it to life, which hopefully you will hear when you listen to the podcast. So in our next episode, we are going to talk about some of the major themes in Macbeth. Uh, and yeah, so we'll we'll join you next time. Keep on listening to the podcast and we will see you next time. This has been a production of the Great River Shakespeare Festival. This activity is made possible by the voters of Minnesota through a grant from the Minnesota State Arts Board thanks to a legislative appropriation from the Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund.